When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Today's episode is an interview I did with Lana Harper about her new book, Payback's a Witch, which is a um, rom-com about bisexual witches. I love all of those words together in one book description. Um, So we talk about sort of the book, the magic system she created. We talk a lot about Salem. It's spooky season after all. And yeah, it's a really fun interview. The book's delightful, so I hope um, this inspires you all to read it. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can visit our website, professionalbooknerds.com. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. And you can always email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Short and sweet intro today, y'all. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't really think there's anything else. So I hope you all enjoy this episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Jill, and my guest today is Lana Harper, author of the YA novels Wicked Like a Wildfire, Fierce Like a Firestorm, and Blood Countess. She studied psychology and literature at Yale University, law at Boston University, and is a graduate of the Emerson College Publishing and Writing Program. Her new book, Payback's a Witch, is an adult rom-com and is coming out just in time for spooky season. Lana, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hi, Jill. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here to chat with you. So can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to Payback's a Witch? Sure. So Payback's a Witch is a queer romance. Um, we also, I also talk about it as a bisexual romance since it is between two characters who are bisexual. Um, and I think of it as John Tucker Must Die meets The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So it's about a prodigal witch who leaves her magical hometown of Thistle Grove after having her heart broken by kind of this bastard warlock from the richest and most powerful witch family. Um, And then she makes her way back about 10 years later because her family has historically served as the arbiter for um, a magical spellcasting tournament that determines which of the four families are going to preside kind of as like the magical mayor of Thistle Grove. But when she gets back, she discovers that uh, Gareth Blackmore, the bastard warlock, has been kind of wreaking mayhem on other women um, in the witch community. So she enters she enters a vengeance coven with her best friend, Lyndon Thorne, and Talia Avramov, who's like the hot, cool girl that she always wanted to get together with, but didn't. And the two of, and the three of them start plotting ways to take down Gareth and keep him from winning the gauntlet of the Grove, which his family has won basically since the town was founded. Okay, so the first thing I have to say is that your names are all fabulous. Like, <laughs> like just even with like the town and like Thistle Grove, yes, that sounds like a witchy place. Like, and then your character names, like, it's all so good. It's all so good. I'm so happy to hear that. Um, they really were the beginning of everything when I was kind of planning. I had to know 
exactly what all four of the families were going to be and what their powers were going to be and what the town was going to be called even before I started writing, which is not the way that I normally operate. But in this case, they really kind of drove the action for me. So I'm, I'm glad that it works. 100%. 100% it does. Yeah. And, you know, like, I imagine it was a lot of fun then to kind of build up this world, just the town and this like magic system. Like, what was your process like for that? Um, a lot of this um, came very organically, which always sounds cheesy to me when I talk about it, because most of the time the world building is sort of the heaviest lifting. But in this case, it really felt genuinely like I was discovering this place rather than making it up, which was so cool and so much fun since I'd never had that happen before when writing. And part of it was the fact that I had lived um, very near to Salem, Massachusetts for two years. And Salem is such a campy, witchy, wonderful place that it gave me like infinite inspiration for that kind of tourist trap, but genuinely charming and quirky town. So when I knew that everything was going to be happening in an enchanted town, I started thinking, you know, who are the families? What would their powers be? And what kind of family domain would each of them have? Since I wanted to make sure that I touched on kind of my favorite campy fun things like Renaissance fairs and medieval manners. So I don't know if that's one of your questions down the line, but I can walk you through the family domains um, if you'd like to hear about them. Um, yes, please. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I love talking about them. It's just my favorite part. So we have the Blackmore clan. They are the wealthiest and most powerful family. They're the elementalists and also just the illusionists of the crew. So they have the strongest magic and it's kind of that glittery, loud, Fantasia looking stuff that everyone thinks of as conventional magic. And they also have Castle Camelot, which is like a medieval manor crossed with the Renaissance fair. Because I was thinking like, how could that be cooler? I love both those things, but... <laughs> But can we dial up the camp in some way? Have you done a Renaissance fair or a medieval manor, by the way? Uh, yes. Well, I'm not sure if I've done like a medieval. Well, maybe. So I have done a Renaissance fair. Um, for my honeymoon, actually, we went to, there's a bed and breakfast in um, here in Ohio, um, which is a like medieval themed, it's a castle bed and breakfast. And they have like, this like village of cabins and so that's probably somewhat close to what you're talking about um yeah sounds amazing I need to go to yeah. that place that, you <laughs> that sounds perfect that's like my dream <laughs> to go to places exclusively like that so I'll have to yes. ask you yes. that way. um because yeah no that that's that's ideal um and then once I was like okay you know I've crossed I've crossed off those from the list then we also need some kind of immersive theater experience like Sleep No More in New York, which is one of my Naturally, favorites. naturally. Yeah, yes. you have to have that. So um, <laughs> it has to be creepier. So the Avramovs are the diviners and the necromancers, and they're very sort of like death eater hot. Like they're a little creepy, a little morally gray, but genuinely good people underneath all of that and very sexy and fun. So they have the Arcane Emporium, which is like a witchy megastore. Um, and they refer to it snarkily as the witchy Walmart. And they also have a haunted house, like a huge haunted house adjoining the Emporium. So that's where the immersive theater component comes in. And then the thorns, who are the healers and the green magic, um, witches of the bunch have, of course, an orchard. Since I've spent so much time at apple orchards going apple picking and, you know, visiting pumpkin patches, there was this one place in Massachusetts called Honeypot Hill 
that was like perfectly magical. It was these rolling hills. They had a hedge maze. They had everything. So I figured, you know, how about something like that, but enchanted. So that's what they do. And then the Harlows, of whom Emmy is a part, um, the weakest magical family, they have a bookstore, but it's a cool bookstore. It's um, uh, full of rare and arcane editions of books. Um, you can you know, buy witchy paraphernalia there, but it's definitely the most modest of the family domains. So that those are the four families of Thistle Grove. I love the way you're describing this because I'm like, it sounds like a witchy star's hollow, basically. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly what it is. Um, and I didn't even, you know, I wasn't a huge Gilmore Girls person, but I watched enough to get a sense about it. And it was, that's what it was. It was Stars Hollow that did it for me. I wanted that really, really strong sense of community and of a town that felt like a character. And when I think about Payback's a Witch um, and its sequel, it's always the town that eventually ends up taking center stage. So it's a very apt comparison. For sure. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Salem because despite the fact that I'm like writing your bio, I'm oh, Yale and Emerson and Boston <laughs> University, nowhere in my mind was I like, oh my gosh, she's like really close to Salem. I wonder if that played a part. And I feel kind of mortified by that because no. someone who, it's like, no, no, just like personally, personally, I'm like, you should have known that. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, I, I don't even think I made it to Salem until probably after, because I was in Boston for a pretty long time before I even ventured to Salem. Like possibly I was there for six years until I finally went. And then once I did go, I was like, this is the best place ever. <laughs> Why am I not here all the time? And then kind of serendipitously, a few years later, I moved to Marblehead, which mm -hmm. is on North Shore and it's 15 minutes away from Salem. So then it was like, well, now it's a given that I'm going to be going to every witch festival, all the spell casting circles, all the ridiculous events because they just do really cool stuff during the entire spooky season like they have um vampire balls witch balls masquerades you can do these weird like seances where you do an entire dinner sitting in the dark and not talking because you're paying your respects to the dead and it's so creepy and campy but it's very fun so it's a wonderful place to be close to um yeah no it's I went work maybe Five years ago, we went to Salem. Um, well, we went to Boston mm -hmm. and then spent some time in Salem and my coworker and I, it was in October, I think. Um, and so we were doing all sorts of research. We did like a, one of the walking tours around and um, where they sort of walk you through all of the, the, the people who were executed for, you know, mm -hmm. witchcraft allegedly. And, and then I went again a few years, a couple of years ago with family and um it's just it, it really is like a magical place like that sounds sort of you know silly to say but it, it really is and I bought my first tarot deck in Salem and since then I've been like this huge thing now that I do and like uh I love Salem so much and which is That's wonderful I don't think it's silly I think a lot of people have that reaction to Salem and I definitely did I think it's sort of um that odd dichotomy where part of it is clearly very tourist trappy but part of it feels extremely genuine and it has mm -hmm. such, a, such a bleak history but also like a really strong mystical vibe that draws people that are fascinating and that genuinely believe in the supernatural in a very cool way I knew uh back when I was visiting all the time I had a friendship with a perfume witch who owned Aroma Sanctum 
and she's since moved to Arizona, which is a huge loss to the Salem community because she was wonderful, but she had this beautiful perfume store and you could just ask her to recreate perfumes for you or make custom ones. Everything she did was handmade and she was 100% like, I'm a witch. My lifestyle, yeah. which lifestyle. So it's just, an, it's like stepping outside of time and, and be living in a completely different place. Like you're right inside a Halloween candle and it's the best. And now we'll take a quick break for word from this week's sponsor. Do you get excited by a five-star driver rating? Let's be honest, ratings matter a lot. And when it comes to finding healthcare, ratings matter even more. ZocDoc is an app where you compare doctors by their ratings and read reviews from real patients, so you can find and book highly rated local doctors. Just download the free ZocDoc app, the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. Whether you need a primary care physician, dentist, dermatologist, psychiatrist, eye doctor, or other specialist, ZocDoc has you covered. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy. Now is the time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com slash ProBookNerds and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top-rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash ProBookNerds. So I do want to ask, you know, you had written young adult novels previously. What made you want to switch to writing an adult novel? I love young adults and I really enjoyed um, writing those. But the entire time that I was doing that, I very much felt like, you know, this could be better if there was more sex or this could be better <laughs> if we just talk about like boobs more. It's like in a more serious way, you have to dial things down in different aspects when you're writing young adult. And after a while, to me, it, it seemed clear that the things that I wanted to explore and kind of the scenes that I really wanted to write were definitely for a more mature audience, an audience that had more of an interest in kind of um, the steamier side of things and also a more um, like the more emotional older landscape that that older young adults deal with. So it's still, I mean, Emmy's 28, so she's not, you know, terribly older than the than the teens that I was writing about. 10 years is a lot, but at the same time, it's like, you know, she finished college, she's working, she's dealing with homecoming, she's dealing with her parents. So some of some of the general themes have a little bit of overlap but I wanted to push it a little bit further and I didn't want to feel constrained while I was doing it. So this was the perfect segue because it's still, you know, it's a romantic comedy. It's still genre writing. So it's not totally divorced from what I was doing before. That's a very honest answer. And I kind of love it. I mean, (laughs) these sex scenes, I would write the editor would be like, um, we're just going to have to not put that in there. And I was like, but why? Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, no, this is a good place to put it then. Yeah. And I love that it is, it's queer, as you said, it's, you know, bisexual, which is always, always nice to see that representation. And especially like, you know, um, actual, like on the page bisexuality and that you, they have dated both men and women. And it's not just like, you see them, you know, that it's not just sort of like this aside where you kind of have to like, guess if they're bisexual yeah so, yeah I do love that part 
Yeah, I wanted it to be really clear that they were both bisexual um, and that bisexual is a spectrum that, you know, Emmy dates kind of all across the board, whereas Talia has mostly dated women, but will date like the right guy if he crosses her path. And I also wanted it to be not an angsty, traumatic thing. Um, often when you read queer books, there's like a coming out component or there's like a someone is prejudiced component. And I just didn't want this to be that kind of place. I wanted that to not even be an issue. They were bisexual. No one had a problem. The issues that they had had nothing to do with their preferences. So it was really more, it, it, it was intended to be a very joyful space for the two of them to fall in love with each other without having to explore a lot of the real world concerns that surround that. So I hope that comes across. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, like you don't, you don't want it to be like a quote unquote issue book. Like yes, they just exactly. happen to be bisexual and this is who they are currently dating. And that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. And like their previous partner maybe was a different gender and that's just how it is. And yeah, it's so good um, to see that. Uh, sorry, my cat just like randomly showed up, and so <laughs> that happens. So <laughs> it does um, happen. It happens. I know it does. So one thing I also love is that even you know this is a romance, and we have that one relationship is kind of the major focus of the novel. You also explore other types of relationships and show how important these can be in a person's life, like the 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 friendship between um, Emmy and Lyndon, which is also great to see. Like you know those friendships, especially at that age, can become so important and also play just a major role in in your life. And they don't have to be sacrificed for um, if you end up in like a romantic relationship. Yeah, to me, having a strong best friendship and generally female friendships in my books is really powerful and crucial because those are the friendships that I rely on and they're the ones that have gotten me through all of the roughest patches in my life Um, and it's interesting to me to explore how there are these inflection points where you can choose whether to drift away from your friends or to really put the time and investment into that relationship a lot of people when they have kids um, will often find that they're not as in touch with their best friends unless they happen to be following the exact same timeline Mm-hmm. And it's one of those moments where, and I was, I was actually, I was in a similar position when I was writing the book. I had just had a baby. Most of my best friends weren't living in Boston anymore. And I was feeling kind of unmoored in a way that was unfamiliar to me because I had been so used to these people being such core presences in my life. And then I had to make a conscious decision. Like I will prioritize these people. I have to find ways to continue connecting with them. So when I was writing Emmy, I was thinking, what would it take to have someone turn their back on a person who's known and loved them for so long? That's a kind of connection. In some ways, it's even deeper than a romantic connection because it's not quite as conditional. I mean, those are your people. They're around no matter what happens to you. You don't typically break up with them. So it was really, really precious to me and important to make sure that their um, relationship also got the airtime that it deserved. Yes, hundred percent. I absolutely agree with you about the, you know, how friendships can change and sometimes grow stronger, you know, depending yeah. on where you are in, in your life. And um, wow, this cat really is just like, you know what? We don't, I don't want you interviewing somebody right now. You need to pay attention to me. That cat, I- you're familiar. That cat clearly knows <laughs> well, something. 
<laughs> we have four cats and there are probably two that could uh sort of joke are my familiars and yes wow not <laughs> you you're a powerful presence <laughs> two of them. um i you had mentioned that um there is a sequel coming can you tell us anything about that I can say that it is called From Bad to Cursed. So good. <laughs> so we're continuing our trend of witch punnery. Um, it's going to be a romance between Isa Abramov and Rowan Thorne. Uh, it's hinted at in Payback. So we meet, obviously we meet Rowan and we have a scene with uh, Isa as well. She's Talia's younger sister. There's going to be a very strong enemies to lovers um, undercurrent because the two of them are established arch nemeses. And um, there will also be a curse that the two of them have to get to the bottom of together. So they're going to be reluctant partners um, in unraveling this in time to make sure that the uh, Beltane festival happens without a hitch. So there is going to be magic, but it's going to be darker and sort of a little creepier than what we've seen in Payback. But because I love the Avramov so much, I'm a huge Avramov stan. I love their haunted house. The Bitters is where I actually want to live. It was so much fun talking about that. So I'm really hoping people will get into that as well. That's one of my favorite things about um, like small town romances where, you know, the author will like hint at a relationship in one <laughs> book and then it shows up in a later one and you're like, yes, I knew it. <laughs> I have already seen, I try not to read Goodreads reviews, like for my soul, but every once in a while I'll, I will like cave and go take a look at them. And some of them are like, wow, I hope I get to see Isa and Rowan in a book later. And I'm like, you're going to get to see it. It's going to happen. You don't even have to wait that long. It's going to come out in May, fingers crossed, um, if we manage to stick to the accelerated timeline. So hopefully that's, that's going to be the next installment. So exciting. Well, Lana, I have loved talking to you. I just have one question left, which is what do you hope readers take away from Payback's a Witch? I, wow, there are a lot of takeaways, but I think it's going to have to be one of those to thine own self be true movements where you have to make sure that you're doing your own thing, but you also have to be sure that you're really committing to something because it's your choice and not because you're actually running away from the life that you want. So I guess it's like a very intense carpe diem, like seize the life that you want to be yours and don't settle for a life that you're building because you're afraid of what you've been through. Love it. Lana, thank you so much for coming on and talk to me. Thank you so much for having me. This was super fun. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Jill Grunenwald and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hey there. hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. 
We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.